First Kings chapter 1. Let's just jump to the first four verses of chapter 1, King David's weak condition. Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for the Lord our king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. All right, so this was the twilight of a glorious reign for David. David was now so old that he couldn't even keep himself warm, much less rule the nation. So David was about 70 at this time, and he seems older than his years, but for David, it wasn't just the years. It was the mileage. He seemed to live the lives of four or five men in his lifetime. So this sounds strange, perhaps even immoral, right, for the uh, virgin to keep him warm uh, to us, but this was proper of David to allow. This did not bring a moral cloud over the last day of David's life. It was proper because during this period of time, it was a recognized medical treatment in the ancient world, mentioned by the ancient Greek doctor Galen. When Josephus described this in his Antiquities of the Jews, he said that this was a medical treatment, and he called the servants of 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 2 physicians. It is proper because David almost certainly made this young woman his concubine, while it was unwise for David to to make take more than one wife. It was not at that time illegal or specifically prohibited by God. Later, Adonijah would condemn himself to death by asking for Abishag as a wife. His request would only be so outrageous if Abishag had belonged to David as a concubine. Therefore, they chose someone eligible for marriage and to be a you know or to be a concubine, a virgin and a lovely young woman, so whose beauty might engage his affections, refresh his spirits, and invite him to those embraces which might communicate some of her natural heat to him as was designed. So from ancient times, many have wanted to associate this beautiful young woman with the Shulamite addressed in the Song of Solomon in Song of Solomon chapter 6 verse 13 and throughout. According to the theory, as she ministered to David, she became romantically involved with his son Solomon and was later the subject of his love poem. Yet we must say that this is conjecture at best and Shuman is not the same as Shulam. Shunam in the, is the modern Solom, lay 11 kilometers southeast of Nazareth and 5 kilometers north of Jezreel in the Issachar territory and was visited by Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 8 and there is no need to identify Abishag with the Shulamite of Song of Solomon chapter 6 verse 13. So this scene of David's diminished ability shows that David, uh, the question of David's successor had to be addressed. King David couldn't last much longer and his family's history was marked by treachery and murder and at this point it was worth wondering if there could even be a bloodless transition from David to the next king. All right. So David's many misfortunes at the hand of Saul before he came to the throne and his 40-year reign over Israel had left their indelible impressions upon him. Yet before death overtook him, the warrior poet king reached the age of 70 years in 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 4, which his own writings had marked out as the ultimate bound of life. 
The final blow that hastened the old man's death was Absalom's rebellion in 2 Samuel 15 verse 1 and the covers that David's servants placed over him to keep him warm were basically like sheets and not blankets. They're not not articles of clothing. That a virgin should be sought was reasonable since an unmarried young woman would likely be in vigorous health, free from domestic responsibilities, and able to wait on David continually as his needs might demand. So his inability to retain body heat led his attendants to search for a way to keep David warm. Their decision to provide a young woman who could keep him warm by lying next to him in bed and also serve as his nurse was in harmony with medical customs of that day. Right? Josephus mentions this from 37 AD uh, to 100 and Galen in 130 to 200 AD. And a Greek physician referred to this therapeutic practice which continued onto uh, and into the Middle Ages. So an attractive young woman was found in the town of Shunem, seven miles northwest of Nazareth, near the foot of Mount Tabor in the tribal territory of Issachar. Abishag's beauty is attested to by the attraction of Adonijah, David's son to her, chapter 2, verse 17. And if Abishag were the Shulamite, an alternate spelling of Shunemite, who captivated Solomon's heart, right, her beauty apparently attracted many men. So the fact that David had no intimate or sexual relations with his nurse, Abishag, shows that this was not her function and that David was very weak. The king's inability to withstand sexual temptation while in good health resulted in his committing adultery with Bathsheba. He also had a harem. But now, due to poor health and advanced in age, his vigor was gone. And another reason Abishag is introduced by name in the narrative is because she figured significantly to Adonijah's attempt to capture the throne. All right, verse 5, Adonijah's presumption. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Sounds familiar. So 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2-5 through 5, describes the sons of David and lists Adonijah as the fourth son. We know that two of the three sons older than Adonijah were dead, Amnon and Absalom, and we suspect that the other older son, Chiliab, either also died or was unfit to rule because he is never mentioned after 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3. As the oldest living son of David, by many customs, Adonijah would be considered the heir to the throne. But the throne of Israel was not left only to the rules of the hereditary succession. God determined the next king. So Adonijah violated a basic principle in the scriptures that we should let God exalt us and not exalt ourselves. Right? Psalm 75 verses 6 through 7. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. In James chapter 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So Adonijah had a good marketing campaign, and he knew how to present himself as a king, right? He gets these 50 chariots, and he hoped that if he put forth the image of a king, then he would become the king in reality, right? Fake it till you make it. In effect, this was a personal military force designed to anticipate Solomon's claim, you know, by a coup. And outrunners were a part of the close royal bodyguard. And Adonijah was the brother of Absalom. And a look at 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, shows that he copied the conduct of his brother Absalom in almost every respect. 
All right. So the description of Adonijah's decision to seek the throne strongly suggests a selfish motive. He put himself forward and said determinedly, I will be king. Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, was David's fourth son in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4, and probably the eldest of his brothers living at that time. And perhaps Adonijah believed that as the eldest living son of David, he had the right to the throne. But if so, he ignored the theological implications of God's having already chosen Solomon, David's son through Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite in 2 Samuel 12 verses 24. Adonijah's preparation of chariots, horses, and 50 men had to run ahead of him and was probably intended to give him prestige in the people's eyes. It also helped him ready his coup d'etat against his father. All right, verse 6, Adonijah's character. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? And he was also very good-looking, and his mother had borne him after Absalom. Right? David had good-looking kids. So sadly, David did not do a very good job raising his own sons. David failed to restrain his passions in some areas of his life, and his sons showed a much greater inability to restrain their passions. In part, this was because David did not discipline his own sons very well. And David didn't seem to have a very good relationship with his own father in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. The godly influence in his life seems to have come more from his mother than from his father. And twice in the Psalms, he referred to his mother as a maidservant of the Lord in Psalm 86, verse 16, and Psalm 116, verse 16. It's likely that David didn't have a good example of parenting from his father. Yet, this does not excuse David's deficiencies as a father. He knew how his heavenly father treated him and how he com- comforted and helped by the correcting rod and staff of the shepherd, Psalm 23, verse 4. And he could have learned how to be a good father from his father in heaven. Even before it was written, David could have known the counsel of Proverbs 29, verse 17. Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. So David was ever too fond of a father, and he smarted for it. And David was a handsome man, and he attracted uh, he was attracted to beautiful women, so it shouldn't surprise us that David's children were also very good-looking. This gave them an unfair and unfortunate advantage. All right, so more light is shed on Adonijah by recording that he was spoiled, undisciplined young man who had apparently received much admiration for his good looks, more than for the quality of his character. And from this, it may be inferred that Adonijah was allowed to go unchecked and undisciplined, and evidently, Adonijah expected that his plot would succeed more because he was a popular figure than because he was a capable personing, uh, championing a worthy cause. All right, verses 7 through 10, Adonijah's banquet. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and Abiathar the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok the priest, Beniah the son of Jehodiah, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel. And he also invited all of his brothers, the king's sons, all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But... He did not invite Nathan the prophet, Beniah, the mighty man, or Solomon, his brother. So, sadly, Joab, J- David's chief general, and Abiathar, the high priest of Israel, each supported Adonijah. They didn't consult the Lord or David in giving their support to this unworthy son of David. It's sad to see these once trusted associates of David turning against him late in his life. Joab might have sought revenge for David's choice of a massa over him in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 13, and because Beniah now had more authority over over military affairs, Abiathar might have been jealous of Zadok the high priest in 2 Samuel chapter 8 verse 17. Professional rivalry had darkened into bitter hate. 
And Joab, the most powerful of Adonijah's supporters, had always been fiercely loyal to David, but not to David's wishes. In supporting Adonijah's pretensions to the throne, Joab was acting characteristically. So Joab and Abiathar tarnished a life's devotion and broke sacred bonds because they thought of themselves rather than of God's will. Unfortunately, there were some prominent people in Israel who did not support Adonijah, right? Nathan, Zadok, and mighty men. And the idea is that Adonijah burned the fat of these animals as a sacrifice to the Lord and he used the meat to hold a dinner honoring and blessing his supporters. Yet it is important that this was both a sacrifice and a feast. He not only had a splendid feast, but a great sacrifice, and he gave by this a popular color of his pretensions by affecting to receive his authority from God. Right? That's the image he's given off here. All right, so let's look at the banquet. Among David's staff, both Joab and Abiathar forsook the king and sided with Adonijah. Joab was David's nephew, a son of his half-sister, Zariah, in First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 16, the brother of Abishai and Asahel. And he had served the king faithfully for many years. Since David was pursued by Saul as chief in command of David's army, he proved himself to be a brilliant military strategist, valiant in battle, and though not above cruelty and actual treachery in certain instances. When it you know, was convenient. And his chief military accomplishments were the capturing of Jerusalem and the siege of Rabbah of the Ammonites. However, Joab was brutal and used his position to murder at least three important men. Abner in 2 Samuel chapter 3 verse 22 through 30, that's Saul's commander-in-chief. Amasa in 2 Samuel chapter 20 verses 8 through 10, who had slain Joab's brother fairly in battle. And when Absalom led a coup against David, uh, Joab executed Absalom contrary to the king's orders in 2 Samuel chapter 18 verses 5 through 15. So because he had needlessly shed the blood of Abner and Amasa, Solomon ordered Benaiah to put him to death. At his own request, Joab was slain beside the altar of God in the tabernacle where he had taken refuge. Abiathar was the only priest who had escaped the brutal vengeance Saul took on the priestly order at Nob for extending aid to David in 1 Samuel 22, verses 18 through 20. After fleeing to David, he had become spiritual advisor and a friend to the fugitive warrior, and up to this point, Abiathar had remained true to the king personally. But then, he joined in the conspiracy of Adonijah against Solomon, so his subsequent penalty was not the execution execution he deserved, but expulsion from the priesthood by Solomon. Alright, so Zadok the priest had joined David after Saul was killed in battle in First Chronicles 12 verse 28 and he had supported David and had served as a spy during Absalom's rebellion and had acted as the king's spy in 2 Samuel 15 verses 24 through 29 and chapter 17 verse 15. Benaiah in 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 10 was one of David's mighty warriors and commanders in 2 Samuel chapter 8 verse 18, chapter 20 verse 23, chapter 23, verses 20 through 23. And he had been appointed captain of the king's bodyguard in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 18, 20, verse 23, and 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 17. And he was regarded by Joab as a rival. Nathan the prophet in 1 Kings 1, chapter, or verse 10, he brought the word of the Lord to the king on at least two of occasions in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 4 through 17, and chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. So if Shimei is the same man who cursed David in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 13, and was later 
are forgiven by him in 2 Samuel 19, verses 16 through 23, then Shimei's loyalty now to the king is understandable. All right, verse 9. Adonijah held a feast and tried to persuade the others to join his cause, and his sacrifice was evidently a feast rather than a religious offering. Right, the stone of Zoheleth, the serpent stone, is identified on the steep rocky corner that overlooks the plain where the valley of Hinnom joins the Kidron Valley just south of Mount Zion, where the city of David was situated. In Rogel, meaning that translates to Fountain of the Treaters or Treaders or the Foot Mountain, is one of the two main screen, uh, springs of the Kijon Valley that supplied water for Jerusalem. And here the fullers cleanse garments by treading them in the waters of the spring. And this site has been identified as the Well of Job, or more likely Well of Joab, and situated below the junction of the Kijon Valley and the Valley of Hinnom, 550 feet below Mount Zion. So Adonijah invited to his feast all the important people in the government who were not firmly allied with his father or his brother Solomon, who was David and God's chosen prince. Adonijah's actions have been duplicated by aspiring politicians for centuries. So in that culture, if Nathan and David's other supporters had been invited and eaten with Adonijah, he would have been bound to protect them, having extended them the fellowship of such a meal. Benaiah, the son of Jehoda, the high priest in 1 Chronicles 27 verse 5, native of Kabzeel, the head of David's police force, valiant in battle against man and beast, remained faithful to Solomon, hence he was not summoned in the rebellion of Adonijah. Solomon, the son of David through Bathsheba, the legitimate and God-appointed heir to the throne, naturally was not summoned to Adonijah's feast. So... Let's take verses 11 through 14. Nathan's going to tell his plan to Bathsheba. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become a king? And David, our Lord, does not know it. Come, please, let me now give you some advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Why then? has Adonijah become king. Then, while you are still taking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So this shows both the wrong of Adonijah's attempt to take the throne and how far removed from power David really was. He didn't know what was going on around him in the kingdom at the time. And Nathan knew that if Adonijah became king, he would immediately kill every potential rival to his throne, including Bathsheba and Solomon. So David made this promise to Bathsheba, and the specific promise is not recorded before, but we know from 1 Chronicles 22 verses 5 through 9 that David did in fact intend for Solomon to succeed him as a king. And this is a remarkable display of grace that a son of the wife David took through adultery and murder is the most infamous scandal of his life, should become his heir to the throne, and would be part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So Nathan knew that David was generally indulgent toward his sons and would find it hard to believe that Adonijah would do such a thing. So he arranged it so the message could be presented in a convincing way. So Nathan the prophet first appears in scripture to announce to David that he must defer building the temple in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Later he appears to reprove David for his double sin of murder and adultery in the matter of Uriah the Hittite in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and Psalm 51. Nathan now secured the kingdom to David's son Solomon by exposing Adonijah's uh, imaginations to the or motives to the proper authorities in this case Bathsheba. And the fact that Nathan took the initiative in countering Adonijah's rebellion suggests that God 
God may have moved his prophet to his, this action as he had done previously in 2 Samuel 12 verse 1. Bathsheba enjoyed David's favor from the first moment he saw her onto the end of his life. So Adonijah had become king in the sense that for all practical purposes he was the popular choice though he had not been anointed or crowned yet. So Nathan's choice of words seems designed to shock Bathsheba into realizing the seriousness of the situation. Apparently, David was ignorant of the plot until now. So Nathan was uh, probably not overstating the danger to Bathsheba and Solomon by telling her that she needed to take steps to save her own life and Solomon's. Adonijah's not inviting them to share food at his feast freed him from the duty of a uh, oriental host to protect their lives. So David's promise to Bathsheba that he would make Solomon king after him, to which Nathan referred, doesn't seem to be recorded in scripture, but in view of what Nathan told Bathsheba to say here, obviously David had made such a promise. You can look at 1 Chronicles 22 verses 8 through 10. And in verse 14, that is, I will appear in order to verify your words before David to show that you're not a victim of fright or imagination. So Nathan made sure that David's promise would be heard by two witnesses, Bathsheba and himself. So under Mosaic law, at least two witnesses were required to make a charge stick. The news of Adonijah's rebellion now fell upon David's ears, apparently for the first time. And if David was becoming forgetful in his old age as a second witness, in this case Nathan, would also confirm that the king has indeed made such a pledge. Alright, verses 15 through 27, Bathsheba and Nathan are going to tell David of Adonijah's bid for the throne. So Bathsheba went to the chamber of the king. The king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was serving him, uh, serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, What is your wish? And she said to him, My lord, you swore by the lord your god, your maid servant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord the king, you don't even know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. And for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, it will happen that when my lord, the king, rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And just then, while she was talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Nabiathar the priests. And look, they are eating and drinking before him, and they say, Long live king Adonijah. But he has not invited me, your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehoda, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, or, you know, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Quite a bit there. Let's look through it. So this is included to remind us of David's limited capabilities as a king. He needed the help of Bathsheba and Nathan uh, brought to him in the following verses. Bathsheba began by telling David the facts about Adonijah's actions. She used a tender appeal, reminding that David uh, that her life and the life of Solomon were in grave danger if Adonijah became the king, right? Because he would remove everybody else that was potentially eligible for the throne. The last place we saw Nathan was in 2 Samuel 12, where he rebuked his friend David over the scandal with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. Yet now at the end of his days, David received Nathan. The sense is that he remained a trusted friend. David did not treat Nathan 
Nathan as an enemy when he confronted him with the painful truth of his own sin. So far was David from hatred of the truth that he loved Nathan the better for his plain dealing while he lived. He gave him free access to his bedchamber and now nameth him a commissioner for declaring uh, of his successor, right? So Nathan also stated the facts about Adonijah and then gave a personal appeal. So he asked David, who is dear and his trusted friend, how is it possible that you've chosen Adonijah to be king and not told me? All right, so evidently David was confined to his bed. And Bathsheba treated David like the king he was by bowing and kneeling before him. So she intended to call on him to act as he must in view of the situation. David invited her to explain what she wanted. Verse 19, Bathsheba stated the facts about Adonijah's uprising without exaggeration or embellishment. Verse 21, uh, she called on David to announce publicly who his successor would be by appealing to his sense of duty in verse 20. And his love for her and Solomon in verse 21. She pointed out that she and Solomon would be treated as political criminals by Adonijah. Customarily in the ancient Near East, a new monarch would purge his political enemies when he came to power, as Solomon did later in chapter 2, verses 13 through 46. The abandonment of this practice in current politics raises profound questions of accountability in our own systems of government. All right. True to his promise, Nathan put an appearance to support Bathsheba's account of Adonijah's rebellion, which otherwise might have appeared to the monarch as an exaggerated report. So Nathan sought an audience with the king while Bathsheba was talking with David. And he was admitted and and reported the same facts that Bathsheba had announced with a bit more detail as would have been appropriate for a man in his position. And in verse 26, Nathan's statement that Adonijah's feast was taking place at that very moment would have encouraged David to act at once. In verse 27, Nathan knew David had promised Bathsheba that Solomon would succeed him in verse 13, but apparently the prophet had learned this from others and not from David. Rather than reminding David of his promise reminding uh, regarding Solomon, which have... He might have annoyed the king who may not have wanted many people to know of his choice. Nathan diplomatically asked David if he had planned the present circumstances, and the prophet left the initiative with David rather than putting him on the defensive. All right, verse 28 through 30. David vows to set things right for his secession. Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. So I certainly will do this day. So this is uh, this introduced a solemn oath. David would confirm the previous promise he made to Bathsheba that her son Solomon would become the next king. So David promised to settle the issue that very day. He would abdicate the throne and give the crown to Solomon. Right, so the king invoked the sacred name of God, the living God who had delivered him from every one of his troubles. All debate was thus ruled out of order. Right, As the Lord liveth meant that David's intended action was as certain to take place as God's very existence. Those words occur frequently in the Old Testament, including 14 times in First and Second Kings. Right, First Kings, uh, chapter one, verse twenty-nine; chapter two, verse twenty-four; chapter seventeen, verse one and twelve; chapter eighteen, verse ten and fifteen; uh, chapter twenty-two, verse fourteen; and Second Kings, chapter two, verse two, verse four, and verse six; chapter three, verse fourteen; chapter four, verse thirty; chapter five, verse sixteen and twenty. Right. So, verse 30, David could not more forcefully have guaranteed that he would have indeed uh, do what he now said that he was going to do. So, the God who had delivered David would now, through David, deliver Bathsheba and her son, right? 
So David repeated his promise that Solomon, Bathsheba's son, would succeed to him as the king and sit on the throne that God promised to bless. All right, verses 31 to 37, arrangements are made for anointing of Solomon as king. All right, then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord, King David, live forever. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoda. So they came before the king, and the king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There let Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, anoint him king over Israel, and blow the horn, and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel. Israel and Judah, Benaiah the son of Jehoda, answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my lord the king say to, so too. As the Lord has been with my lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord King David. So this was a customary expression of thanks and honor. Since David knew that death was near, it, it must have sounded strange in his own ears. Right? Let the Lord King David live forever. And these were three prominent leaders in Israel who did not support Adonijah as king, but David knew who was loyal to him and who wasn't. And this is a rare glimpse of all three offices and cooperation, prophet, priest, and king. All of these offices are gloriously fulfilled in Jesus Christ. David wanted the proclamation of Solomon as successor to be persuasive, and he had five points to the plan. Ride on his own mule, which was a mark of you know royalty. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him, blow the horn, say, Long live King Solomon, and he shall come and sit on my throne. We might say that God is just as concerned that we know that we are destined for a throne, that we are his sons, heirs, and we will reign with King Jesus. Right? Benaiah understood an important principle, that unless the Lord said amen to the selection of Solomon, he would not stand. Benaiah sensed that this was the Lord's will and offered the prayer that God would in fact say so too. And this pious wish of Benaiah had an interesting fulfillment. On a human level, Solomon's reign was indeed greater than David's, but on a spiritual, eternal level, it was not. <clears throat> he liked women a lot. All right, let's look back real quick. Let my Lord the King live forever is a common expression found in Scripture, signifying a desire that God would bless a monarch by giving him, uh, granting him long life, right? Long live the King, essentially. It is a complimentary wish. God had promised to bless the righteous with the length of days, and these words therefore imply that the king had acted righteously and was worthy of God's blessing. So, verse 32. David's plan skillfully diffused the rebellion, which was building just south of Jerusalem at the spring of Enrogel. Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah of the ranking, ranking priest, prophet, and soldier, respectfully, who had remained unallied with Adonijah, their leadership, the events to follow, would demonstrate to the general population that they were acting as the king's representatives. So the Lord's servants were Carathites and the Pelathites. In verse 38, chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 18, David's special military guards under Maniah, 2 Samuel 23, verse 22 and 23, they protected the king, his family, <clears throat> and the city. So David told them to place Solomon on a mule, lead them through Jerusalem to the place of anointing, and kings rode on mules in the ancient Near East. It symbolized their role as the people's servants, and the people would understand that Solomon's riding on a mule implied his kingship, right? Sound familiar? 
earlier, and the mule specified by David was to be his own personal animal. Perhaps the people would have recognized that mule by its trappings and concluded that David had given Solomon permission to ride it as his designated successor. Right, The officials were to lead Solomon down to the spring of Gihon. Two springs provided most of the water for Jerusalem, the Enrogel spring southeast of Jerusalem, not far from the city wall where Adonijah was feasting his guests, and the Gihon spring about one half mile north and directly east of Jerusalem, also outside the city wall. And on that day, two processions, one by rebels and one by the king's men, were going on two neighboring springs. Right, people would gather around the water, obviously. All right, so both Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet were to anoint Solomon, and there was no prophet in Adonijah's camp. Nathan's presence symbolized the divine choice of Solomon as king in a way that Zadok's presence alone could not. The blast of the trumpets announced to the people that Solomon had now legally taken the throne of his father even before the latter's death. So every king of Israel was anointed. The ceremony symbolized the coming of the Spirit of God on his chosen leader through pouring oil on his head. So the leaders have been instructed to return up to Mount Zion to the city of David and place Solomon on David's throne. This would be the ultimate proof of his own election. And Solomon was to commence his rule at that very moment. The official seating on the throne was to be perceived as not only simply a symbolic act. David clearly explained that he himself, by the authority of his kingly office, had appointed Solomon ruler over Israel and Judah effective immediately. Israel and Judah were distinguished from each other. Chapter 4, verse 20 and 25. Probably because first Kings was written after the kingdom was divided in 931 BC, or because a rift was already evident between the northern and southern parts of the kingdom. And you can look at 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 21 through chapter 20, verse 2, right? They became jealous or bitter towards each other. <clears throat> All right, verses uh, 38 through 40, Solomon is anointed and proclaimed as king. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoda, the Cherethites, the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him and all the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with her sound. So apparently this was the Old Testament equivalent to a presidential motorcade. And the mule was something special in ancient Israel since Hebraic law forbade crossbreeding in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 19. Mules had to be imported and there uh, they were very, therefore very expensive. So while the common people rode donkeys, the mule was reserved for royalty. So no subject could use anything that belonged to the prince without forfeiting his life. And as David offered Solomon to ride on his own mule, this was full evidence that he was appointed him as his own successor. So Gihon is the site of the anointing, was just outside the city of the Kidron Valley on the east bank of Orp Ophel. And it was at this time Jerusalem's major source of water and was therefore a natural gathering place of the populace. So literally, uh, the horn of oil from the tabernacle, it is the horn of oil. And this was a specific container of oil kept in the tabernacle for special ceremony, ceremonies related to anointing, right? So though Adonijah put forth his best marketing campaign, he couldn't win the hearts of the people. They sensed that Solomon was the man and not Adonijah. All right. 
So the Carathites and the Pelathites were the royal bodyguard troops under Benaiah's personal veteran command. And you can look at uh, Lord David's servants in uh, verse 33 in chapter 2 Samuel chapter 18, 8 verse 18. Right, 2 Samuel chapter 8 verse 18. Sorry. Gihon, located east of the city of David in the valley of Kidron, was just outside the city wall. And that was the main source of water for Jerusalem at that time. So Zadok took the horn, perhaps an animal's horn used as a container of oil that was used to anoint kings and priests from the sacred tent of Jerusalem right the tabernacle and he carried it to Gihon perhaps this tent was set up by David in 1st Chronicles chapter 15 verse 1 was similar to the Mosaic tabernacle the olive oil symbolized the presence and power of God all right verse 40 a great throng of people followed the procession and witnessed the anointing and so this was a glorious day in the history of Israel and the people celebrated enthusiastically so much that the ground shook right it's a big party all right verses 41 through 49 adonijah hears that solomon is made king now adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard heard it as they finished eating and when joab heard the sound of the horn he said why is the city in such a noisy uproar right they even heard the sounds of this party going on and while he was still speaking <laughs> there came jonathan the son of abiathar the priest and adonijah said to him come in for you are a prominent man and bring good news and then jonathan answered him and said to adonijah no our lord king david has made solomon king the king has sent with him zadok the priest nathan the prophet benaiah the son of jehoda the cherethites the pelethites and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. And they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. And also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on the bed, and also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. So the banquet wasn't even over before Solomon was proclaimed king, right? This happened quick, and it was a big party. They heard it. <laughs> Bathsheba and Nathan acted quickly, and it was well rewarded. Adonijah's feast, as all wicked men's, uh, it ends in horror. The last dish is served up astonishment and fearful expectation of just revenge. So this was very distressing to Adonijah. He had the support of some of the most important, powerful men, those attending his banquet. But now he knew that the heart of the people belonged to Solomon. So this told Adonijah that even King David was completely behind Solomon and there was no hope for his future as king. So they came for a nice dinner and to support Adonijah, but these guests left quickly as soon as it was clear that he would not and could not be king. Now it was dangerous to say that you supported Adonijah as king, right? You'd be part of some sort of rebellion. So Adonijah's party was feasting only a half mile south of Gihon. They heard the celebration easily, uh, but it was blow it was the blowing of the trumpet, the sign of the official function was taking place that roused Joab to inquire about all the noise going on in the city. So Abiathar's son Jonathan had been in the city and arriving at the feast just then, he reported what was going on, right, from the other party. And Adonijah's optimism and complete ignorance of the plot to undercut his rebellion can be seen in his greeting of Jonathan. Alright, so verse 48, Jonathan had apparently penetrated the palace or at least obtained information from within since he reported to Adonijah 
Elijah what David had said in the bedroom. Characteristically, David praised God for one more blessing, allowing him to live long enough to see his successor on the throne. In verse 49, Adonijah's guests scattered as far as from the traitor and as fast as they could, so they could not be linked with him and dealt with as they felt surely he would be. They feared with reason that they would be regarded as traitors against the state and summarily dealt with. All right, verses 50 through 53, Solomon's mercy to Adonijah. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose, and he went and took a hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me this day that he will not put his servant to death with a sword. And Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, Go to your house. So according to the most universal custom of the ancient world, a religious altar was a place of sanctuary against justice or vengeance. An accused man might find safety if he could flee to an altar before he was apprehended, and this is why Adonijah took hold of the horns of the altar. It is important to understand that this ancient custom was not used in Israel to protect a guilty man. Man, right? Exodus chapter 21 verse 14. If a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So Solomon gave Adonijah a limited reprieve. This went against all custom in the ancient world. It was common, even expected, that when a new king assumed the throne, that he would execute every potential rival. Solomon not only let a potential rival live, but one who openly tried to subvert his reign. And this was a large measure of grace and mercy on a part of Solomon and a good start to his reign. So at the same time, Solomon wanted Adonijah to know that if he would show the slightest inclination towards rebellion, he would be killed instantly. Mercy would be withdrawn and justice would be delivered quickly. So Adonijah knew that he received great mercy from Solomon and he wanted to show his gratitude for it and his reliance upon Solomon's mercy. All right, verse 51, terror at this point, uh, at this prospect, it drove Adonijah to the tabernacle where he claimed refuge by grasping the horns of the brazen altar in the tabernacle courtyard. Such a practice was common in Israel and in other neighboring nations, right? Exodus 21, verses 13 and 14. The symbolism of taking hold of the altar's horns seems to have meant that as God has been gracious to man, as seen in accepting man's offerings to atone for his sins, so one man should be gracious to another man who had offended him. And so Solomon could have had Adonijah removed from the tabernacle and executed, but instead he showed mercy. Solomon followed this pattern of graciousness throughout his reign. The new king simply asked for a promise from his half-brother that he would not rebel again or he would show himself uh, he told him, you know, don't rebel again, but show himself to be a worthy loyal subject. So Adonijah promised and Solomon sent him home, but soon Adonijah Adonijah conspired again, and he's going to lose his life as a result in chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. All right, that ties up chapter 1 and the introduction. Next time when we get into chapter 2, we will talk about the last words and death of King David.